live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. It really seems like from a policy standpoint, from a persuasion standpoint, why not talk about one dose first and really reinforce the the value of at least one dose in the longer interval, and then take the time to talk to parents about the risks and benefits of the second dose. We have that time. And welcome to the show this evening. This is Yona Bud. You're on the road to recovery. We're joined this evening by Corey and Sophia. They're going to take your calls. You can reach me this evening at 416-870-6400. And um, we'd like to hear from you and chime in on the subject matter that interests you. Just call us to say, hey, we'd like to uh, just know you're out there. 416-870-6400. And if you're out of the area, 888-225-8888. Five five. Um, really glad you joined us tonight. There's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. But I got to come out of the gate saying, listen, you know the numbers are going through the roof. But where we were a year ago, we were a lot sicker. There were a lot more of us in hospital, a lot more of us on on ventilators, a lot more of us, you know, really ill in hospital settings. There's better medication once you do get this disease and end up in hospital. Very few people are ending up on ventilators. The people that are testing positive, the large percentage of people that are testing positive that have been uh, vaccinated uh, are showing you know, very little, if any, symptoms. Got to remember, it's one thing to test positive. It's another thing to actually be sick. And I think, you know, I can only look back over the last couple of years and, you know, every every winter I would have at least one cold and a couple of flus, you know, either from the grandchildren's runny, snotty noses and, and hugs and kisses or just from, you know, being a, a frontline worker and out and about in hospital settings and, you know, dealing with people with low immune systems. I mean, I just used to get sick. I got to tell you, I've had a scratchy throat maybe twice so far in the last couple of years. I haven't had anything, no cold, no flu, no nothing. But I'm telling you, that if we are to be tested sometimes and we, you know, just feel a little under the weather and you get tested for the flu, let's say, you might show positive. Getting tested for COVID, you might show positive. Doesn't mean you're sick. Doesn't mean you're going to do anything more than spread it to someone else. That's why you got to take the precautions of, of staying down and checking in and, you know, uh, quarantining and doing that stuff. But less of us are going to hospitals, less of us are on ventilators, and much, much lower fatality rate. So why don't we just put this in check a little bit here, right? Why don't we just slow our roll, not freak out? I know, I know, I know, like the new, you know, we're getting all kinds of new uh, restrictions again, and 50% of this, and 20% of that, and 10 people at a table. I get it, I know. And it's a complete pain in the ass. And it's enough already. I get that too. But just remember, if 3,000 people test positive, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get sick and end up in hospital. And clearly doesn't mean they're going to end up, you know, with a ventilator down their throat or potentially dying from it. We have Kevin from Newmarket. Uh, Good evening, Kevin. Thanks for joining us this evening. Hi, good evening. How are you? Good, man. You? All right. I was just having a brief discussion with your producer about uh, these anti-vaxxers. And how they they literally make me ill by waving the fact that they have their rights. Well, yeah, they have their rights, right? Not to take the vaccine, but they also shouldn't have the same privileges as people that are vaccinated because they are more dangerous to society right now. Science has proven that vaccine helps stop the spread of the virus. 
Well, what 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 it what it does, Kevin, and I do appreciate the call, and thank you. I I, I really appreciate you you weighing in here and and dialing the number to give us a call. Um, but listen, what we're really talking about here is you know vaccine versus unvaccine. Clearly, the vaccination seems to keep people out of hospital, out of out of ICU, and often off a um um a ventilator system. Right. So, you know, whether it works, it doesn't work, whether we're just getting herd immunity or not, I don't know. But I know a lot of people are freaking out out there. And I just want everybody to just take a great big breath in through your nose for four, hold it for four and out. One, two, three, four. Take a bunch of those big four by four box breathing breaths and just chillax with me a little bit here. Okay. Because it's not as horrible as the numbers show in terms of fatalities, hospitalizations, and actual illness. But it's a pain when it comes to restrictions in restaurants and bars. And, you know, New Year's Eve seems to be a bust this year with no, you know, you close the bars at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, no dancing, uh, restrictions at 10 people per table. Okay, I get it. And it's horrible. And it's an inconvenience. And it just sucks. I know. But it's not the end of the world, and you're likely, if you end up with COVID and you're properly vaccinated, you're much less likely to end up in a hospital than those that perhaps aren't vaccinated, although it's 50-50, right? So the, if you look at the numbers, those ending up in, on ventilators and those ending up in hospitalization aren't that far apart vax versus not vax. So I'm not promoting vaccinations or not vaccinations. I'm, I, I'm as vaccinated as I can possibly be and would take a fourth one if they'd give it to me. But <clears throat> right now... I'm just suggesting that we need to slow our roll a little bit in terms of freaking out about this stuff. It, it, it's going to it's going to get better before it gets worse. And yeah, chances are we're going to end up with school, you know uh, school age children being closed out of school uh, coming January, and it's going to make a mess of everything for all of us adults. But at the end of the day, less of us are dying from this disease, and less of us are hospitalized, and fewer are on ventilators. That's the measure for me. If you're at home for three, four days because you got a bad flu and a bit of a cough and a cold and maybe a fever, you know what? You probably had it; it would have it anyway, with or without COVID nineteen, at some point, right? Some kind of cold, some kind of something. Anyway, children age uh, five to eleven, their first dose coverage stands at about thirty-four uh, percent in Ontario. Three hundred sixty-seven thousand doses out of just a million eligible children. Meantime, six hundred sixteen thousand Ontario residents were reported to have recovered from COVID-19, which is 96% of known cases. So 96% of the cases have all been resolved. So here's the thing, right? Hospitalizations, 358 currently in general hospital wards, uh, up by 30, 157 in intensive care, down by 8, 139 in intensive care on ventilators, down by 8. Uh, yeah, the numbers are just going are just going the other way. So um you know, 39,000 people, 5 to 11, which is an increase with 382 cases so far, uh, that age range. So here's the thing before we, we got to go to break. Um, what I wanted to talk about is families that are divided by, you know, and by the way, deaths reported in ages under seven since the beginning of the pandemic are seven, seven children. I mean, it's seven more than should be, uh, but seven children out of hundreds of thousands. So um, we're now talking about vaccinating children and we're having them vaccinated, um, you know, in, in, a, in an appropriate manner. I want to hear about you. Are you having your kids vaccinated? Would you have your kids vaccinated? 
416-870-6400. Chime in and let us know what you think. But now families are divided. So I've got parents calling me uh, with, you know, real problems at home saying, you know, my my husband wants me to leave or I want my husband to leave. And one of us had the kids vaccinated and the other didn't know about it. And, you know, the big, 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 big deal in the household. So number one, that's like cheating on your husband or like cheating on your wife. It's like cheating on your spouse. Okay, you go get a kid vaccinated and, the, and, and you know that the other parent isn't into it. That's not right. That's not transparent. That's not open. And that's not straight up. And I would expect someone who are, who's co-parenting to be straight up with the co-parent. But we're finding that families are divided. There are, there are more uh, issues right now where children are being torn between one parent or another to get vaccinated or to not get vaccinated. Uh, there are children in this town, you know, the, for example, uh, Valerie, who's 16 years old. Um, she's both of her parents have been vac- or both her and her mom have been vaccinated, but their father hasn't. So because her father hasn't, um, you know, she has he hasn't been able to go to things at her school and to some of her other competitions and so on. She feels that it's very selfish of her father to not be vaccinated because it impacts their relationship in some way. But, you know, the fact that the mother got the kid vaccinated in one particular case that I know caused the family to split up. It actually caused the mom and the dad to split up. In this case, the mom was the mom uh, threw the father out and the kid is stuck at home with the mom who is jumping all up and down because they don't want the daughter who was vaccinated to be vaccinated. And, you know, she's you know, 15 years old. She gets to almost make her own choices. She decided that it was imperative to become vaccinated. So she did with her father's permission. Mother didn't like it. Mother is anti-vaxxing and other stuff. And uh, they're splitting up a family. It's absolutely going to destroy this family. Conversations as adults need to be taken care of. If you're talking to your family about the issue, continue to give, uh, to continue to bring in, if you can, a, a third party some kind of healthcare provider, maybe your family doctor uh, to bridge the gap because I see more and more people arguing about whether to vaccinate their kids or not. When we come back from break, uh, yeah, it's a it's devastating situation. It's been going on actually for a long time, not just because of, because of COVID. Uh, but anyway, the um, situation we're going to look at when we come back from break is this online gaming and spending, uh, 13, 14, 15-year-olds spending thousands of dollars on in-gaming um, money of some sort, don't really understand it. We're going to bring an expert on uh, to understand how kids are spending thousands of dollars that parents don't know about, winning, losing. Uh, it's ridiculous that a 13-year-old can make $10,000 in a weekend playing video games. Uh, we'll be right back. Uh, just join me. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. Criteria for gaming disorder are really modeled after substance use disorder and gambling disorder. Hansen worries that not enough studies have been done to show the true impact of excessive gaming, especially when we were locked down and students were constantly at computers. Are they withdrawing from relationships? Are they withdrawing from school activities? Hello and welcome back. This is Yona Bud. You are on the road to recovery. I appreciate you joining us here this evening. You know, we've been talking about kids and video games for a long time. Uh, we're now talking about, I'm finding myself talking to more and more parents about kids that are video gaming and gambling. So spending money either that they don't have, they borrow or they steal, uh, or money that we're, you know they've been given for some reason or another and they use it 
for other reasons. Like one kid in particular that I worked with who hadn't had lunch uh, at school for three months so that he could save money uh, to buy things in line on games. So I, I'm not quite sure exactly how all this really works because it's kind of out of my depth of understanding. I'm not a, not never was a video game guy, never played them. Uh, my kids played them, but I never played them with them. Um, shame on me. Um, but uh, we will bring on an expert here in the next, uh, the next segment, an expert that works with uh, kids in this kind of situation. But in the meantime, <clears throat> this in-game spending stuff, like, so the research, it's, it's mind-boggling. The research found that two-thirds of kids 8 to 11 years old and 72% of those 12 to 15 are playing online games, and that highlights that it's an important part of their culture or their, or their lives in particular. A report from Internaf, Inter, Interactive Software Federation of Europe looked at gaming during the lockdown and noted that, not surprisingly, that there's been a huge surge in online gaming with the engagement increasing by at least one and a half hours per week. So in the UK, there's an 11% increase in users who say that they've spent more in spent more on in-game extras, which we're going to learn about here, in-game extras, um, and instead of uh, spending it on other things. So they found that 49% of children and young people believe that online video games were only fun if you could spend money. So 66% of 11-year-olds uh, are playing online games one and a half extra hours. Uh, 49%, as I said, are people that are believed to be spending, uh, enjoying the online benefit of the game only when there's money involved. So many of the games that children play, uh, a lot of kids play, are free for the most part. Um, but we know there's nothing really free. So they're either gathering data or in some way uh, capturing information to benefit the, the developers and so on, or sub, you know, subliminally selling things. Uh, to the young people playing the games, uh, different kinds of uh, fashion wear, so on and so forth. But in, in online games right now, we're finding that uh, it's a new level of acquiring. So, for example, uh, it's, online games are often a uh, product. Is, you can buy a product with, which then can lead you to believe that they're getting something for their money. So, you know, whether you're unlocking a new skin, let's say, uh, or a new attachment or a new uh, accessory in a particular game where that might help you win ahead of those that can't afford uh, to buy uh, the same kinds of things. Uh, children are spending money um, on all kinds of things. These loot boxes, um, it changes the rating of the game as well in some way. Uh, so uh, we're finding here that the pl there's a platform called Steam, and it's breaking its own record for the, for, for the highest number of players playing at the same time on its platform, six times that of the 2020 report. So findings from Barclays, a serious organization, Barclays Games and Esport Report, they revealed that the games industry saw the largest increase in spending, not just usership. Like parent, I'm not talking about buying, you know, buying to get to play the game, like the thirty bucks it costs to play the game. I'm talking about the money you spend or or can can somehow wager. We'll get to when our expert comes on later. <clears throat> we'll talk about this a little bit, but somehow wager so that you can be up or down money. Okay, so that's up 43% compared in 2020 compared to 2019. Money being spent, the amount of money being spent on in-game activities. Uh, the majority of the young people, 6 to 15, are spending money in-game, are spending less than, on average, 20 pounds uh, on average. And it's a European study, so 20 pounds is roughly 40 bucks, maybe, 35, 40 bucks. I haven't done the math, but pretty close to 20, uh, two times. So say 30 $35 a month. 
Okay, it's not nothing. It's not the end of the world. But I'm talking. I, I have kids in, in in my practice, male and female, that are winning and losing thousands, thousands in a month. The one kid that you know, he she was up, I think, seventy five hundred. Another young man was you know up twenty five hundred. Another kid was down thirty five hundred. You know, these are 13, 14, 15-year-olds. They don't have this kind of money. So 2,400 children in the UK between April and June found that video games were more popular than sweets. They spent their money before candy, books, magazines, or toys. So kids would prefer to spend money in-game than, you know, treats and other things that, you know, as a kid, we used to really cherish as though that kind of stuff, right? Candies and chips and chocolate and cool stuff that you weren't allowed to have, so we kind of would have to steal the money to go buy them. Now kids are stealing the money to go and play these games, and I asked one of the young men that I was dealing with, he's 14, I said, you know, you know what do you do with the money? He says, yeah, I buy candy. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a role in reverse here. Um, and you have to understand this whole in-game currency thing, right? So it comes in kinds, different kinds of forms. So it comes like a gem. It appears on in, in the game as a gem or a coin, and, and that that that, that uh, you know can adapt or adjust the amount of energy or strength you get in a game. Uh, they can be used to purchase or unlock different levels. So again, if you can spend the money, you can get to other levels that your buddies can't. Just like you can have the nice Nike shoes if you can afford it, and maybe your buddies can't. Right. So it's no different than you know the toys that we used to take to school or the shoes we used to wear or. You know, in my day, it was the kind of jeans you had, maybe. Um, so there's all these different kinds of things. There's something called Apex, Apex Legends. Apex coins are a premium currency which can be spent on something called an Apex pack. Uh, there are tokens, and then there's virtual currency. Uh, Fortnite, which is a well-known game. Uh, they have V-Bucks can be used to purchase battle passes, cosmetics, and other items. They can be bought with real money, for example. You can earn V-Bucks by logging into Fortnite every day. And then the counter resets every day, so the incentive is to keep people going back and logging in and out. It, 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 I tell you, it, it's, it's brilliant. I mean, it's just brilliant. It's unhealthy, hugely unhealthy for our kids, but it's brilliant how they suck us in and suck these kids in. Um, you know, there, there's, there's all kinds of uh, stuff here. Um, in some cases, users have said they felt pressured to send money or gifts to their favorite influencers on a particular game or app, TikTok's policy, and I've heard of TikTok, they say that users must be 18 or older to be able to gift an influencer to show appreciation. But I know kids that are gaming on, on, on Ontario Lottery game sites. I don't know how they get through, where they get the passcode or whoever's passcode they stole or a uh, fake ID or something. Um, I just noticed here that, uh, you know, that uh, Corey, who's one, our, one of my producers, is saying that he plays a lot of games uh, but he hates microtransactions. So we're going to learn more from our guest, I think, what those microtransactions actually look like. Um, live streaming platform Twitch, which is another platform where you can tip people. So there's ways to um, tip people, give them gifts, uh, and then they'll follow you. And you can also do that to, to create a number of followers. It's important to be clear that none of this is new. Children have long tried to be popular with their children, their buddies at school, having the latest schools or shoes or collectibles, whatever. So spending real online, spending money, real money online, goes back to like I don't know, 2010 maybe. It was a real, it was, it's been a real thing, but now it's becoming a big deal because of the all of these uh, virtual coins 
and uh, online uh, uh, online money, right? All the all of this sort of uh, data driven, you know, non currency currency. Um, are there uh, you know the benefits of in game spending for children? Is you know if you if you can do it properly, if you can give them an allowance, you know, if you give your kid five bucks to spend on his in game stuff to see how much he can get or how far he can go with that, probably not a terrible thing. Some psychologists say that there are um, benefits to children learning how to manage money safely and responsibly. Uh, more purchases and transactions are made online anyway, so it's sooner than later we may as well teach them. Uh, these experts are saying we may as well teach our kids how to actually spend money online and so on. And the risks of in, in-game spending, they say, uh, as mentioned earlier, a key challenge of in-game spending, it, the addictive nature. It's gambling. It's gaming, gambling. There's an incentive. You make, you lose, you win, right? You don't win. It's a real big deal. And there's a lot of kids that are getting seriously messed up and parents who have no idea what to do about it, Right? And, you know, parents aren't really talking about this in any real way. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes here. We'll uh, go to Melanie from Toronto. Where are the parents in all of this? Yeah, no kidding. Melanie, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. How are you? So nice to hear you. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah. You know, where, where, where are the parents? The parents are in the other room. The parents are happy the kids aren't screaming. The parents are happy that they're not fighting in the kitchen. Well, that's, where the par- that's where the parents well, are. Yona, Yona, first of all, where are they getting money for, uh, you know, for high technology? I mean, wh- why are the parents giving them this money? They can't. They're not. The parents here are at fault. The parents are in charge, and they're not connecting with their children. In my opinion, from what I know from parents and children, they do not connect with their children. So the children are like, you know, in the Lord of the Flies. They're developing their own style of life, and there's no yeah. guidance there, yeah. especially at yeah. a very young age. And, you know, we used to condemn having prayer in school, uh, having yeah. religious teachings. Well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe we yeah. should bring I, that back. I, 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 I appreciate the call, Melanie. Thank you so much, and you're always, uh, it's always a pleasure to hear from you. But we're running out of time. i got to go to break. Uh, Melanie raises a good point. Where are the parents in all of this. Um, but when we come back, we're going to be joined by a guest um, and we're going to talk a little bit more. I was using um a little too much tonight. I, you know what? I'm really perturbed by this whole kid and gaming thing. It's, it's just freaking me out because families are just crippled by this whole thing. And it's hard to keep track because of COVID and you're, you want, you can't take away their technology because that's how they go to school now. And it's, it's just a complete mess. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to talk about how to, how to deal with it and some tips around it so it's not the end of the world for everybody, right? Yonabud, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yonabud, only on 640 Toronto. Between 16 to 19, I used to play on a daily basis. Ah. There'll be good nights and bad nights. So I think on the bad nights, you always borrow money. And on the good nights, you would borrow people money. So it's a cycle. I think my lowest point was when my monthly salary came in, I had to like give it away immediately. Yeah, I have no money to spend for myself for the rest of the month. The whole loot box system, it is a very, very big issue when it comes to uh, dealing with minors and people without self-control. And the worst part is that it, it, it looks like it's a game. So maybe kids are going to be telling their parents like, yo, mommy, daddy, can I have 10 $20? And the, the kid is going to gamble it off. Hey, and welcome back. Thank you. You've got Yona Bud here on the road to recovery. We're in the studio with Corey and Sophia. And we're talking about kids and gaming, but not just a regular conversation about how much screen time and what games are appropriate and are they creating, you know, senses of violence and nightmares for kids. I'm talking about spending real money, like gambling type, gaming type real money for young kids, 12, 13, 14, 15. 
Uh, I'm joined tonight by Corey Koblenz. Uh, Corey is the lead peer support and co-founder of Recover at Home. And uh, in the spirit of full transparency, Corey and I work together. We founded um, uh, Recover at Home. Uh, but Corey is an expert when it comes to uh, youth, uh, young, really young kids, and some of their behavioral stuff. And uh, we're glad he could join us this evening. How are you doing, Corey? I'm fine. I think it's because I'm a child at heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you never sleep. So you're there when the kids call you in the middle of the night. Uh, but, um, you know, one of, one of the things that we're, you know, at Recover at Home, what we're doing is we're helping people recover and get well in their own home. Um, and families and parents are seeking the help that we're able to provide because it's easy for kids to access without them having to get in the car and drive them and so on. So, Corey, I know that we've been, you know, inundated with young kids uh, lately, but we seem to have a pretty, um, we, we obviously can't deal with specifics or names or anything, gender even uh, in our descriptions tonight. But um, we, it appears that you're managing a lot more young people under 16 uh, that have issues with money and gaming and, I think, gambling. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit? It is a very consistent thing that we're starting to see because, you know, obviously uh, pandemic, kids are at home, they're gaming more. But this has already, already uh, kind of been a part of culture for kids. I grew up with this environment playing games like that. And there was a gradual migration to start commercializing games in different ways. So like what we're seeing right now with uh, the loot box gaming and uh, marketplace oriented things, these things have been happening for quite some time. They're just becoming more and more prevalent. And so kids are getting more and more exposed to them because what's happening is a lot of the games that would appeal to kids like the Fortnites and the Roblox and so on and so forth, they're becoming more and more commercialized in this particular aspect. So, so my my but 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 our parents, but our parents like what I don't okay I don't understand how does a thirteen year old able to buy stuff online or pay for things online even though it's something that like when you did it did your parents give you the money were you able to you know back in the day were you able to get the money from your folks or did you have to come across it a different way like how did you get the money. And you don't have a credit card, I assume, when you're a child at that age. Maybe you do. How are kids playing these online games in the digital currency world with access to what? Where's it coming from? So that's a really interesting question. So first of all, all the kids need is an on-ramp into the game. A lot of these games, what they do is they can give out premium currency or they can give out uh, loot box components uh, sort of as a loss leader or as a way to get these kids into the game and say, uh, sort of uh, to, to, to see what the value of these things are. And so once the kids ha start having these things as value, you know, they've got value in game that can be exchanged. Some of these games might have marketplaces. Uh, some games uh, will allow people to win uh, prize content, which could be exchanged in, in marketplaces. Uh, but, you know, generally speaking, uh, a lot of people don't object to microtransactions for their kids. So microtransactions, I think you mentioned a little bit earlier, these are small purchases that you're going to make. The thing is, they're a psychological barrier as a general whole. Uh, so a lot of these games that these kids play, the selling point is they're free games or freemium games or free-to-play games, right? Uh, there's no cost for the software. But the thing is, as you know, when there's no cost for the software, you're the product effectively, right? Uh, exactly. And so what these games do is they're, they're, they're pulling demographic information. They're pulling utility information from you as a player. They're pulling whatever other information they could also pull from you, uh, depending on the type of game. Some you know, might, might have more spy components that take a look at your online habits, uh, depending on permissions of a variety of things. 
Uh, but once they break that psychological barrier and get you to do a microtransaction, make a, a 99 cent purchase in the game, at that point, the floodgates are open and, and, and people tend to spend quite a lot of money, as, as you're seeing here. Um, microtransactions for these games, the, the loot boxes and what have not, represents a huge amount of money for the, for the industry. Really, we're talking like $17.8 billion in 2020, which is about like 10% of the, the total uh, market cap for gaming. It's, it's huge. I mean, they, 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 it's like deliberate targeted psyops against these kids because they know what motivates these kids. Right. But where, but where are the kids, but where are the, where are the, okay, I, I, I get, I get the, I get the whole marketing ploy and the submersive, you know, BS that's behind looping our, tracking our you know, kids and looping them in. But in, in terms of how, how kids that age are, are able to access, um, you know, uh, hundreds of dollars and convert it to thousands of dollars and then reroute that money somewhere else to buy something somewhere else. I mean, and, and, and nowhere, are, are there adults, at least on the software app side, um, there aren't, doesn't appear to be any filters. Like, how, how do, you know, how does this sort of come about? How does this go from a, a kid spending, you know, 10 bucks to, you know, spending a thousand? Okay, well, uh, it gets crazy. I, I've played games with, with people, even and mobile games, the, the spenders are insane. Some of these adult people were putting six figures into these games, which, you know, uh, that's their money. But uh, for a lot of these kids, uh, what happens when they get into these games, they often discover that there's marketplaces that could be associated with it. So uh, CSGO, for example, uh, was a recent culprit of a problem that I was encountering. Uh, the, 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 the kid basically got uh, a skin, which he won from a loot box. It was a 0.026% drop for chance for a yellow item with bats, whatever he wanted. And so he went over to the marketplace and he was able to cash out. So what happens is these, these marketplaces... Um, some of the value of these items, they can go into tens of thousands of dollars. It's quite insane. These are often used for money laundering, but they're also often used for, for some of these players who are collectors who have money in the bank. Um, and so there are a number of different ways that these kids get access to it. A lot of these things come from various on uh, off-ramps because what you can do is you can convert a lot of these game items into a cryptocurrency and then you can go over to a central exchange like Coinbase. Thirteen-year-olds uh, with parental consent can get on there. MetaMask uh, can give you. Well, 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 well. Back up, back up. Thirteen-year-olds mm -hmm. with parental consent. How are the thirteen-year-olds without parental consent getting on there? Good question. Uh, but I assume that most parents, when they see these things, they just say, "Oh, okay, I'll just approve this. It's an app for my my, my kid." Ah, uh, okay. This, it's, right? it's it's not and obvious so, to them. I, I, well, you know, it's just for, from the kid's perspective, can you, you know, just authenticate this so I can, you know, do this? And uh, I assume right. that not all the parents that are, are approving this are aware of exactly what they're approving. Right. Because, this, you know, again, they're, they're, they're approving access to get these kids into central exchanges for cryptocurrency. They can get them uh, e-transfers over to bank accounts and stuff like that. So there's ways that, that you know, kids can, can get access to these, uh, to these games, uh, win these tremendous loot prizes, and then cash out, um, and, and it, it, you know because it's it's using a lot of automated software. A lot of these things are based on mobile devices and so on and so forth. There's 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 little intervention that would happen. So when do, when do uh, you know? Let's get to let's get to you and your counseling skills and and, and what we tell parents and and, and kids alike. <clears throat> what you know when does when should a parent be concerned? Like at what point? Should a parent be concerned that their child is not just playing a video game and winning a few trinkets, but it's actually gaming and gambling and they're wired to it? Well, <laughs> that's a really good question. A lot of it would happen 
in terms of watching what happens to the repercussions to the kid, right? Um, is this affecting the kid's life? Right. It has this creeped into their life. Uh, how much time are they investing in this? How much money are they investing into this? You know, are basically being aware of what your kids are doing. How has this been modifying their behavior? Right. Are, are they demonstrating, um, you know, uh, changes to their school, to their friends? Are they isolating more? Right. Uh, these are different ways that parents could be aware of it. But generally speaking, you know, the, the, the best way to, to manage this is to teach healthy gaming habits with kids in the first place which is what I did, uh, you know, with my kid, because, you know, he grew up gaming just with me. We played together. So we normalize a lot of good, healthy gaming habits, right? And that includes uh, dealing with these, uh, these, these types of games, these, these free-to-play games, which, you know, they can be quite insidious. I appreciate you joining us tonight, Corey. Thank you very much. I'm talking to Corey Koblenz. He's the co-founder and lead uh, peer support at Recover at Home. You can reach him at recoveratthome.com. Uh, I believe, and uh, we'd be uh, he'd be happy to help you. Uh, but uh, thank you so much, Corey. We'll have you back on again because this isn't going away anytime soon. Uh, with a couple of minutes that we have left, I did dig up some points here, some tips, uh, if you will, that fa- that parents might be able to use uh, to uh, to work through this a little bit. Tips that so use tools to control purchases on connected devices or gaming platforms. Build into your pocket money systems. Make sure that his kid really wants a particular game. You know, do do some 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 work on it ahead of time. Do some research. Make sure that you understand what this platform looks like. Never share your credit card details with your child. Don't just give them the number and say, "Okay, you charge it. Give me the card back later." Set rules or limits around anything that looks or smells like a loot box somewhere where a kid can accumulate money and things and buy things and so on. Make sure there's a limit to twenty bucks, thirty bucks. Uh, whatever is in your uh, within your own personal wheelhouse, and like Corey said, and he couldn't have said it better, sit down with your kids, watch them play, hang out with them, find out what they spend money on. Maybe it's something you can do together. I know there's some great games out there where you can build communities and homes, and you can decorate them and so on and so forth. You know, yeah, it costs a little bit of money, but you know, it might be something you want to do with your kids, and you know, and as a way to teach them about value. And teach them about what monetary uh, transactions actually look and feel like when you win some and when you lose some. I'm particularly hung up on the ones that they lose because that's really what they learn from. Anyway, something to keep your eyes on. If you've got little ones around you, make sure they're not uh, in there uh, spending thousands of dollars uh, virtually gaming underneath the guise of uh, gambling, really, or the other way around, I suppose. As soon as we come back from break... Um, Job sites available out there for unvaccinated people. Yep, for a whole new industry for unvaccinated employers and unvaccinated employees. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about that. Yonabud, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yonabud, only on 640 Toronto. We terminated 31 employees for failure to adhere to our vaccine policy. Kingston Health Sciences Centre says those were the workers who, in the end, failed to comply with the vaccine mandate that went into effect this fall. We gave people um, a series of periods of notice so that they had lots of time to think about um, their comfort level and to talk to us about any concerns that they had or, you know, perhaps if they needed a, um, a, an exemption of some kind. And welcome back. Thank you. I want to uh, apologize to Corey, our previous guest. It's Recover at Home 
.ca, recoveratthome.ca, not .com. My apologies to Corey. I should know better. Uh, jobs for unvaccinated. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Give me a call, 416-722-2377. I'm sorry, that's my, I just gave out my cell number. 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255. We'd love to hear from you. What's your thinking? I think, Jay, I think Yona needs a little break here for the, uh, for the holidays. Anyway, uh, jobs for the unvaccinated. What do you think? Should there be a separate set of rules for unvaccinated and vaccinated in terms of where they can work or where they can't work? Well, it appears to be the case here. That's what's going on. There are new platforms set up for unvaccinated Canadians to join in the job world. Um, and, and these firms are enforcing, uh, are, are working against the enforcement of vaccine mandates. So requiring patrons to be vaccinated while not requiring the, some of the staff uh, leaves gaps, according to Dr. Alexander Wong. He's an infectious disease expert in Regina General in, Sas- in Saskatchewan. Um, so this is really about uh, getting around the vaccine mandate in a lot of employment positions, a lot of job opportunities. Mandates increase vaccine rates, report says. Canada, however, while health authorities have imposed vaccine certificates across most of the country, Wanting uh, people that want access to non-essential businesses such as restaurants and gyms, no such mandate exists for employees of the same business in most provinces. Private employers, listen, this is how it works. Private employers are uh, uh, are left to decide for themselves what rules they want to impose on their staff. Okay, so there are people that are not going to get vaccinated regardless of what's mandated. Period, and there's also people that are sitting on the fence, right? Uh, so additional support and mandates make a lot of sense for some of them. It kind of pushes them over the edge. Uh, but there are people who have flooded social media websites. Uh, channels now set up something called a telegram solely to, uh, to connect unvaccinated Canadians with potential employers. A uh, new job recruitment company just came out called Jabless Jobs in, uh, on t- in October, this past October uh, in Vancouver. Uh, they're all about Canadians uh, getting jobs for Canadians who haven't had, haven't been vaccinated. Um, it's currently advertising about 70 listings, according to Jabless Jobs, uh, uh, in, uh, their response to uh, media's uh, request for information. 70 listings, many are in the construction and trade sector, are also posted for chefs, dentists, caregivers, massage therapists, hairdressers, early childhood educators, and tutor for children with special needs. There are these jobs available for those that have not been vaccinated specifically by people who will hire them or hire you if you're one that's listening um, because they don't care or they prefer to hire somebody, frankly, who's not been vaccinated. company's website describes itself as an employment service to connect non-discriminatory employers with like-minded job seekers. Employers can list jobs publicly or anonymously, uh, and a tracker at the top of the website claims it has had about 75,000 views since November. Um, Global News contacted 32 of these people on these public job listings on the Jabless Job site, and uh, many of them uh, didn't really support the whole vaccine mandate thing, but also didn't want to be on record, which is smart, because you don't want people listing you as one of those companies where nobody's vaccinated, so we're not going there. Anyway, many asked that their company not be mentioned, uh, but three company representatives supported with abuse and claims to the mainstream media as being corrupt. Yeah, of course, we're we're all corrupt. That's what we're doing here. It's our job is to ruin your lives. Come on, guys. We just report what we hear and what we see and what we find out, what you tell us. This, those who did agree to speak commonly repeated baseless claims about vaccine safety and blah, blah, blah. Yehuda Goldberg, he owns a place here in Mississauga called Brothers Butcher Shop. Uh, he's advertising for a butcher. 
and uh, advertising non-vaccinated butcher, and he thinks it's a violation of human rights. So he'll never be convinced that vaccines are a safe, a safe solution. So why should I mandate my employees to take an experimental vaccine that's harmful to his, to his health? He says, uh, nonetheless, he had about 20 applicants after posting on jobless, jobless jobs and hired someone almost immediately to, to work last week, starting Wednesday. Uh, representative from uh, Premier Truck Body uh, refused to be named, but uh, said that they strongly opposed to vaccine mandates and will never ask anybody to participate in this scheme. The company's advertising for a refrigeration mechanic. Uh, I will close my business down before I mandate it, uh, the owner goes on to say. Uh, jobless Jobs in Vancouver, um, we're talking to a person there. Her name is Teresa Heron. So she owns a gym called Huff Gym in Mississauga. Um, jobless Jobs, obviously, it's a Vancouver-based company, but you can post your jobs um, you know, anywhere in Canada. So this woman who runs or this person who runs uh, Huff Gym in Mississauga, advertising for a cleaner, and as a matter of fact, um, she was specifically looking to find somebody uh, who was, you know, they needed somebody right now. They made headlines. Uh, they also made headlines. She doesn't care whether they're vaccinated or not. They they made headlines in the spring when they decided to reopen uh, during the lockdown. I mean, some people have just had enough. A quarterly restaurant in Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood uh, advertised for kitchen staff and had its business license re, uh, suspended in Ontario for re, in October, I should say, for refusing to follow uh, mask uh, legislation. So it's not just about that, right? Uh, James, Jamie from North York wants to make a comment to Yona. Not sure what it is, but go ahead, Jamie. Yes, Yona. Um, you know that that I wanted to wish you a happy birthday in advance on Wednesday. Okay. Well, th- thank you. Thank you, Jamie. I really appreciate it. Call me on Wednesday. We're having a big party in the studio. So give yes. me a call back on Wednesday. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for the call, Jamie. Uh, in BC, the max and vax free employment rate uh, employment center there has 3,000 members and Alberta 4,000 members, Ontario 3,000 members. Um, and so there's a real following here of people who are looking to um, get jobs and not be vaccinated and those that are prepared to hire them vaccinated or not. Uh, Newfoundland is the only province, frankly, uh, that to, to be mandating uh, staff be, um, be um, you know, masked and, and vaccinated. Um, and private businesses, for the most part, again, as we said, are free to do what they want. So even if it's mandated provincially uh, for, you know, government employees and so on, uh, each company can make its own choice vaccinated or not i don't you know i don't know i don't know how it's going to impact people um frankly i would be less likely just me personally and that's just a personal opinion not one of the studio or even that of my wife um i would say that i would tend to not go to a place that isn't um really careful really strict around all of these protocols um just because i got a germ thing anyway so i'd rather everybody hold to it and um yeah, I feel safer in a safe place, I think. I feel better when everyone's wearing a mask. I felt really good when I was in a particular environment where I knew everybody was vaccinated and you know so on. So, yeah, for me it works. Uh, may not work for you, but for me it works. And actually, when we come back from break in the second half of the show, uh, we're going to talk about the holiday uh, office party. So we put this show together a couple of days ago, needless to say, and uh, some things have changed a bunch since then. So let's think and see if we can bob and weave around this subject as it relates to the holiday office party. Yeah, the, I, I'll tell you some stories that relates to me in holiday office parties uh, in the last couple of weeks. And uh, it's, it's, not, it's not fun stories and not, not great endings. Anyway, well, as soon as we come back, lots more to do. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. 
Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Hope you enjoyed your break. You got to use the bathroom. Maybe get yourself something to eat, a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or something. Make sure it's decaf. You don't want to be up all night. And uh, we're really happy to have you join us tonight. We know you have other choices, and we're glad you joined us. Uh, my name is Yona Bud. I'm your host this evening for the second half of Road to Recovery. So get back on the bus, put on your seatbelt, buckle down, keep your snacks on your lap, keep your arms in the windows, and um, in from the windows, I should say, and let's carry on and keep talking about stuff here together. 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255 if you want to participate. want to understand your plans for back-to-office parties. Are you guys having back-to-office parties? Thinking about it, maybe uh, something going on. Well, I, I'm involved in doing some coaching, and uh, one of the coaching uh, clients I have uh, was having their office party. I was really excited to join them um, and uh, be a part of it. And, you know, they, the 11th hour, on uh, we're supposed to have our party on Thursday. Uh, on the 11th hour, uh, basically Thursday morning, with all of the news uh, coming out of um, the uh, the government these days about Omicron, Omicron, Omicron and um, the COVID-19 um, situation in general. So they canceled the party last minute and brought in um, food for everybody sort of in the office in a much more spread out area and so on. So, um, you know, and there's another party I was invited to at a friend of mine's company. Uh, would have loved to have gone. I was looking forward to it. They also canceled last minute. Um, so Toronto's now backtracking uh, on its uh, return to office policy for city employees. And they're suggesting that uh, since this article is from December 13th, uh, that according to um, the experts here, uh, Omicron variant, the city of Toronto has canceled plans to force almost 9,000 employees uh, to back to work remotely as opposed to joining them back in the office on January 4th. Uh, the city noted in a Monday newsletter according uh, released by Dr. Kieran Moore, he's the uh, province's uh, chief medical officer of health, uh, he's urged Ontario employers employers to allow staff to continue working from home to avoid accelerating the virus's resurgence. As a result of this change in guidance, city of office city office staff will continue to work remotely until there are changes to these public health guidelines. That's been a big about face from the November thirtieth statement that Mayor John Tory insisted that roughly uh, one quarter, thirty two thousand active city employees working remotely could safely be returned back to work in the beginning of the new year. So he now acknowledges that the more contagious uh, uh, Omicron uh, is going to overtake um, the situation. It's 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 really, um, God, I just feel bad for everybody, for parents, for kids, for just employers, for employees. 67% of 550,000 workers um, who had poured into the core every day of downtown Toronto uh, have been working remotely. It's devastating small businesses that rely on that kind of foot traffic and the plan to reopen the city's buildings and resume in-person council meetings and so on after new year's is now also on hold. Uh, Dr. Peter, uh, uni, um, he's the head of Ontario science table. I like this guy. He's, you know, he's, uh, he's straight up and, um, he's not a, a fear monger. He's not out there, you know, making us afraid. He's just being, you know, straight up and transparent with his information. I, I, I like him. I like what he has to say and how he says it. Um, but he says we cannot, uh, imagine the sheer scale of what we're talking about here. Uh, it's really challenging. Um, yeah, I get it. And again, I said from the onset, if you were, if you heard me in the in the in the, my early monologue in the beginning of the show at nine o'clock, nine o seven, actually, um, I, I said, you know, yeah, there's a, a large percentage of people testing positive with Omicron, 
but or with COVID-19, period. I mean, we assume it's not Omicron for the most part. Um, but these people, the people that are getting, that are testing positive, aren't getting sick. And the percentage of them that are getting sick enough to go to hospital aren't in ICU. And the ones that are in ICU are such a small percentage based on where we were last year at this time. So it's not perfect. It's not where we should be. It's not where we could have been, perhaps if we did things differently. But we are where we are. And it's not nearly as bad from a get sick and die perspective, which is really what concerns me more than anything, right? So people are talking about this whole concept of the office party, whether it's back on, it's not back on. Um, you know, we were, they were uh, some, uh, the, the, excuse me here, um, David Stratton, who is, um, he apologized not having much time to talk on the phone. Uh, he runs a business called Daniel at, at Daniel at Daniel. And um, he's the managing partner there. They're, they're one of Toronto's top caterers. He said, until unlike last December, when indoor gatherings were largely banned because of COVID restrictions, holiday bookings have been pouring in, he said. The company party, say Stratton and other caterers, is back, albeit in some altered form. Okay, so gone are the big glitzy events, right? Uh, black tie affairs, 500 people, 1,000 people in massive spaces. Now it's much smaller dinners or cocktail evenings with trays of hors d'oeuvres and smaller boardrooms, offices, or smaller rooms in restaurants, and they, everyone has to have a QR code or they can't come. Some businesses are still deciding to spread holiday cheer by sending employees meal kits or a holiday or holding a virtual gathering as they did during the pandemic's second and third wave. Uh, for others, getting out and socializing face-to-face against, again, almost two years into the pandemic is an itch. That somehow must be scratched. So people have been really missing the in-home experience, in-person experience. So at Daniel, at Daniel, they're uh, they're limiting their their capacity, obviously, to fifty percent because that's what's allowed. And they're seeing a lot more small. They're seeing a lot more of the smaller party gatherings. Rather, instead of a company with five hundred employees, you know, perhaps they're meeting with fifty or sixty in a particular business unit uh, in a much smaller gathering. Uh, Oliver and Bonaccini. Um, their CEO, Andrew Oliver, they, they run an amazing operation. He's optimistic that the larger parties will come back uh, for next year's holidays. But right now, he says, the really big ones, the 1,500 people events, they're going to take about a year to plan. So they're not ready for them anyway, even if they were allowed. Uh, even mid-sized events are rare this year. So he's seeing a lot of 100-person parties instead of 500-person parties, and things are substantially better this year than last, last year, according to some of the, the two top um, caterers, I think, in Toronto. Those multiple uh, smaller events are from the same company in most cases, like I said. Uh, they just split them up. I think it's more intimate. I mean, it's nice to get together, everyone together, but it's not going to happen. So rather than nothing, I can see smaller gatherings as something to make sense. Uh, they're getting a lot of bookings. And the, and the event venues now are being very, very flexible. Steam Whistle Brewing, uh, they've got several different event spaces at their Roadhouse Brewery. And they're trying hard to stay on top of everything. So what they're doing is their team plans three possibilities for each event. So they're prepared for any particular last-minute government change. So they're able to move forward either way. They're literally doing three different floor plans, three different menus, and three different quotes so that their clients know if they push A, B, or C, that's what they're going to get. Really smart thinking, like a really smart thinking, right? Like I just That's the way we should all be operating at some level. Uh, Bay Street law firm Steichman Elliott, they used to hold huge, uh, you know, large glitzy black tie affairs. They're doing much things much different. They've had several office, uh, small offices. They have several offices, I should say, and most are organizing virtual events um, and others that have small in-person luncheons. Uh, and all is done, of course, in respect of the 
public policy, they say. Um, they've organized a holiday food drive. A lot of companies are doing that together to, to try to make a difference in organizing stuff and doing it together. So we're not partying together, but we're doing stuff. At Manulife Financial, they got a ton of employees, right? So they've given everybody 50 bucks so they can create an act of kindness in their community. Can't do much with 50 bucks, but better than nothing. Uh, Sean uh, Pasternak, he says uh, some company divisions or offices held small gatherings, uh, but there wasn't anything big for the entire firm. Uh, they're having smaller events is safer, but doesn't guarantee that they're risk-free. So Isaac Bogosh, who's an awesome uh, disease specialist here in Toronto, with the University Health Network, uh, you can watch him on TV. He's on TV all the time. He said creating a smaller indoor space, it's not going to be perfect, but he suggests that event organizers should have many layers of prevention in place, right? So having the room being well-ventilated, having a HEPA filter, uh, if you don't know what that is, you should look it up. It's the kind of filter you should have in your home if you can. Uh, it gets rid of all the particles and tries to get most of the uh, um, most of the viral stuff that flies in the air. It gets rid of the contagens and um, yeah, it definitely makes a difference. Anyway, he's saying, listen, go to a small. If you're going to a small environment, make sure the windows are open, the place is well ventilated, and that everyone's masked, whether they're inside or out, shouldn't make a difference. So um, I don't know if you're going to a holiday party, uh, but it doesn't seem like I'm going to. Uh, but when you come back, uh, we're going to talk about some other stuff here, what's going on in New York. It's not about the New Year's Eve party in New York. It's about a supervised consumption site. Yeah, we're talking about illegal drug use in a safe environment, if such a thing exists. So when we come back, we're going to hear from you, 416-870-6400. This is Yonabud, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yonabud, only on 640 Toronto. Hey, is it just me or are we flying by here tonight? It seems like we just started by me saying, hi, this is Jonah Bud. Welcome to the Road to Recovery. So let's do that again. Hi, this is Jonah Bud. Welcome to the Road to Recovery. Thank you for joining us this evening. 416-870-6400-888-225-8255 if you're out of the area. Give me a call right now. I want to hear from you. How do you feel about illegal or legal? I should say, how do you feel about legal consumption sites for illegal drugs? That's what we're talking about here tonight. But first of all, it's 1018. You know where your children are, your loved ones, your animals. you got to know where people are that are in your life. You should know that they're home and they're safe or they're where they should be or need to be right now. And if not, and you're really concerned for their safety, call 911 and they'll help you. If not, give us a call here, 416-870-6400, and they'll connect us together at some point, and I'll help you in whatever way I can. If you ever want to reach me through the weekend, you're not sure how, 877-777-5808, 877-777-5808, and uh, one of our staff will take your number and information, and we will get to each other as soon as possible, I promise, and we will talk about whatever it is I can help you with. Um, in New York, they're allowing, they're now allowing the first nation, the first in the nation, if you can believe it, as big a, com- a country as the United States is, the first supervised consumption site is going to be in New York. Um, and drug users prepared to inject themselves with heroin inside Vandu's supervised injection room in Vancouver. So similar sites now are being implemented in New York because of the proven success they've had in Canada. Officials in New York City say the first government-approved supervised drug injection site in the nation began offering services to people this past Tuesday. The program is backed by Mayor Bill de Blasio. It's part of the city's harm reduction strategy designed to reduce an unprecedented surge of overdose deaths. So I'm going to say what I say, what I've been saying for the last three months. I'm sitting with a box of um, hundreds of fentanyl test strips. This would allow drug users 
to test their drugs to make sure that they know that there is a presence of fentanyl or not before they use the drugs so they knew how much to use or not use them at all. Um, no one seems to be talking about that. I'm going to keep pushing that and pushing that till somebody jumps on it. But anyway, after an exhausted study, they now know the right path to protect the most vulnerable people is to provide some form of overdose uh, prevention centers or safe injection sites, according to de Blasio. Uh, we're confident that these are spaces that will be allowed to operate uh, what they uh, for what they are, they're clinical, safe, hygienic spaces where people can go to access care and seek treatment. So that's the key point that I like. Uh, 2,000 people in New York died from fatal overdoses in 2020. Uh, that's the ones that they reported. Who knows about the others they didn't report. The safe drug consumption sites will be operated. Um, a feasibility study conducted by the New York City Health Department found that a program like this would likely save 130 lives a year. Uh, that number should be five times. You should be able to save 500, 600, 800 lives a year if done properly. Again, we need to test the drugs, not just the people, right? These centers are going to be located, this particular center is going to be located in Manhattan. It'll be operated by some new profit, nonprofit group uh, called On Point New York City. Um, And they're formed by two organizations that have been in the harm reduction business. Uh, Being the first um, site in the U.S. is an honor and incredible step moving forward. Uh, they go, the experts go out to, uh, from the reduction site say the substance use disorder will be able to, those with substance use disorder will be able to inject heroin or illicit, other illicit drugs under the care of medical professionals. They're also offered access to addiction treatment and other health care. That's where this starts to make sense to me. When you tie the ability to use in a safe place with access to help, you need the access to help, not just the safe injection piece. Similar sites in Australia and Canada, as we know, have been proven successful. Um, they're talking about proposed sites in Denver, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Seattle. Um, and, and, and they're definitely on the right track, right? There's, they're definitely on the right track. Um, New York's announcement Tuesday, Baltimore City uh, Public Health Department said, we're proud of you, New York, thinking of doing the same. Um, there, you know, in January, a panel of federal judges, this past January, a federal a panel of federal judges blocked the creation of a supervised injection site proposed in Philadelphia. Um, and it says that it becomes a legal issue. Uh, they want to make sure that it's not breaking the law. So they, they want this to be decided upon by judges, not by people in the healthcare industry. In the months since that ruling, drug overdose deaths have continued to surge nationwide with more than 100,000 Americans. 100,000 Americans in a single 12-month period died according to uh, the Z- Disease Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, this And earlier this month, the Biden administration, President Biden, declined to endorse safe drug sites as a strategy. Uh, his, um, his chief uh, health guy, Raul, uh, Rahul Gupta, um, he says that uh, it's a matter that should be decided by the courts. Like, here's the problem. The medical people think it's a legal problem. The legal people think it's a medical problem. It's not a legal problem. It's a medical problem. People with substance use disorder have a medical problem. So they need to be treated in a medical, humane kind of way, right? Uh, We're also finding that the opioid uh, epidemic has been fueled, um, where the surge now is fueled by the the whole Canadian health crisis as it relates to the pandemic and so on. The projections suggest that 1,200 to 2,000 people could die during each year through to the end of June. This was... uh, from uh, December of 2021, this was when it, this was posted, December 15th, right? 1,200 to 2,000 people will die during each quarter through to June. That's a ridiculous number. Um, 
in a statement released today, co-chairs to Teresa, Dr. Teresa Tam and Dr. Jennifer Russell said that the number of deaths and hospitalizations related to opioids remained, remained high in the first half of 2021, okay? They added that much more than half of the opioid-related deaths also involved the use of a stimulant like cocaine or methamphetamine, which underscores how the overdose crisis is tied to the consumption of more than one drug. Okay, so the reason this works is because most of the cocaine and methamphetamine that you get on the street is cut with fentanyl. It's cheap, it's easy, and it gets you blasted. And it can kill you for the likely, for, for all its intents and purposes. So when they talk about finding methamphetamine and cocaine, it's not like they got out, went out, did a few lines of coke, and then did some, some uh, fentanyl. More than likely, it was mixed into the same situation. And they're talking about improving the access to naloxone, um, which is, you know, suboxone is another uh, choice of the experts say there's a way to, to um, increase the access to suboxone, which is another form of uh, opioid um, uh, opioid suppression or antagonist, if you will. It's like methadone to some degree. It's a cleaner way of, of getting that uh, opioid antagonist into your system. You can get it in patch form now. They're talking about a subliminal treatment, so you don't have to remember to take your pills. Uh, which is a big problem with a lot of people with mental health disease that have substance abuse disorder because they don't remember to take their medications the way they're supposed to. Anyway, CMHC, the Canadian Mental Health Association, talks about this uh, in a way that uh, demand for services are up across the board, including a 111% um, increase over COVID to crisis line uh, phone calls. We're seeing people stressed out, overwhelmed, anxious, and this is spiking the increase in um drug and alcohol consumption. So I want to talk about tainted drugs, but I want to switch here and I want to move to a story here. 26 dead in mass alcohol poison in Russia. So in Russia, they have tainted alcohol. Here we have tainted drugs. In Russia, they have tainted drugs too. And here we probably have tainted alcohol. You just don't hear about it that much because we just don't hear about it. 26 people are believed to have died from drinking a poisonous moonshine. So in Russia, here's how this works. People want access to vodka. They can't get access to vodka if they can't afford it. So they're now able to buy black market, if you will. They're able to buy black market um, uh, medication, black market alcohol, uh, which contains the, the wrong kind of, of mixture. So let me see here. It's, uh, it's really a problem of um, moonshine containing uh, the wrong kind of alcohol. It's alcohol poisoning, which is coming from this hazardous brew uh, that they're putting together, um, and and people, it's not coming from the. They're not cutting it with the appropriate kind of of alcohol. They're cutting it ethanol or something instead, and it's a poisonous brew that's actually killing people. It, it's 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 actually killing people, um, and they're trying to track down the alcohol consumption can be life threatening. There are arrests so far for people in that area who are uh, selling this uh, alcohol. So tainted alcohol, tainted drugs, tainted anything. It's killing people. That's what supervision is about. That's why you don't buy your booze from someone who doesn't, you know, isn't coming from an LCBO or, you know, unless you have a friend who makes his own wine, that's one thing. But the big problem is that, you know, we're, we're having issues around um, proper substance uh, guidance, if you will, or, or quality control, whether it's a street drug or whether it's alcohol. In Russia, you know, people are dropping dead because you can buy a bottle of the black market stuff or gray market stuff for, let's say, uh, the equivalent of $2.75, whereas the stuff that you can buy in the store, the legit stuff, is, you know, 4 to $5, so it's half the price. And uh, the Russians are doing a lot. You know, Putin is doing a lot to try to curb the use of alcohol in general, uh, trying to cut down on alcohol use disorder amongst Russians. 
uh, in his uh, jurisdiction. Uh, but it's a problem. And can you only imagine not knowing if what you're drinking is legit or not? So be thankful we're not living in that environment right now and be thankful, hopefully, that you're not a drug or, uh, or substance user that could potentially be using drugs that they buy on the street. Even marijuana, don't get, you know, don't buy it from the buddy up the street. Get it from somewhere legit. Uh, because even marijuana these days can be laced with things you don't want, including fentanyl. When we come back, uh, we're going to stay on this uh, substance use disorder thing because it is, I believe, the next huge uh, epidemic, pandemic, if you will, along with mental health. It's going to be, it's going to make the the sickness from this virus look like nothing. Uh, so we're going to talk about new studies and identifying gaps in treatment for use disorder um, and why these overdoses uh, and the emergencies soar. Uh, to numbers beyond our control. So we'll see you as soon as we get back here. Don't stay long. It's only a couple of minutes. You own about 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. Hey, hey, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. This is Yona on the Road to Recovery at 640 Toronto. We appreciate you joining us here this evening. You are the best audience ever. We want to thank you for being with us. We love you. You guys are amazing. Um, and hopefully you're enjoying what we have to say and uh, learning from something. And if not, uh, maybe have an opinion. If we want to either way, want to hear what you think of the show, what you think of what we're doing, what you think of our content, what opinions you may have, 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. The new studies have found that there's gaps in treatment uh, for opioid use disorder as over overdose emergencies soar. So this is a November 30th article. Uh, it's based out of Washington, D.C. So uh, you can extrapolate these numbers and just multiple, you know, reduce the numbers in some, by some percentage to apply to Canada because we're right, we're right neck and neck with our American brothers and sisters in terms of this horrible uh, epidemic, pandemic that we're dealing with in terms of opioid overdose deaths. And they've reached record highs, as we keep saying, in emergency room physicians um, they have a vital role in potentially saving these patients by prescribing medications, uh, what's called a medication-assisted treatment plan, such as buprofenine. Um, and buprofenorphine is, um, is a buprofenine, um, it's, an anti, it's an antagonist, an uh, opioid antagonist, and it's, uh, it's similar to uh, methadone in terms of the reduction of desire to use uh, to use opioids, and in fact, if you use the opioids well, um, using either Suboxone, which is a, a brufenorphine, or um, naloxone, is you know similar has similar things in it. It wakes you up, but it's not the same as these uh, Suboxone or Methadone uh, products, which keeps the uh, user from not using because you get sick. So if you use any traces of opioids well, either on uh, suboxone or methadone, it leaves the patient um, not well. So you can't continue to use. Uh, some patients time their use of um, their medications around when they want to use their drugs. So I, I've had patients in the past that you know know how to start and stop their uh, their medications um, and know how to use in between. Um, the advantage to something, let's say, like um, like um, methadone or suboxone. Uh, which is another is an antagonist, like we said, opioid antagonist, is if you're using racy drugs like um, uh, cocaine or methamphetamine or any of the speedy drugs, it takes the edge off the speedy drug. So drug users who want to use drugs know how to mix and match meds or not, right? So uh, what we're talking about here is the prescription um, to reverse overdoses, as we know, is naloxone. 
but the opportunity to uh, use drugs to assist in uh, ongoing medications, ongoing medical interventions. Uh, they did a study in almost 449,000 emergency uh, department uh, visits for opioid overdose between August 2019 and April 2021 to determine that naloxone was only prescribed within 30 days after one in 13 visits. So we could have been using much more. They could have been using naloxone much more and probably a much better uh, result in terms of people with um, drug overdose. Um, 7.4% uh, brefenorphine um, was only prescribed after 12 of one in 12 visits, 8.5%. So each emergency department visit for an opioid overdose is critical opportunity to prescribe life-saving medications, according to Cao Ping Chu, who's a, a medical doctor and an end PhD, uh, assistant professor of pediatrics and health services with Susan B. Meister Child Center and Evaluation Center in uh, part of the University of Michigan Medical School. Our findings indicate that clinicians are missing these opportunities at a time when U.S. Opio opioid overdose deaths have reached record highs. Medications for um, opioid use, such as buprenorphine, have been proven to prevent opioid-related deaths, uh, but uh, many healthcare professionals who want to prescribe it. So here's the rub. If you want to prescribe this medication, right, you have to be in a position uh, and, be a th and, and be given an approval from the federal government to be able to prescribe it. So uh, you, you know, not a, there's not a lot of doctors around that have a, an addiction practice that are prepared to take on the ongoing requirements of a methadone patient or a suboxone patient uh, because it takes time. So they have to sign something called an X waiver, and it's a separate certification in which isolates the buprenorphine from normal healthcare delivery, and it's a key barrier to buprenorphine being prescribed by f emergency physicians because not many of them are authorized or have this special waiver because it requires additional education. To become an addiction specialist requires uh, additional education and certification. To increase patient access to buprenorphine, increasing the number of buprenorphine waived physicians is a starting point, according to the authors of the study. Another barrier to access to naloxone and buprenorphine occurs at the pharmacy level. So, for example, remember, there's medication. So naloxone can wake you out of a out of a of an overdose. You know, you see people on TV. If you've ever seen it, they kind of shake their head and it's kind of come out of a sleep, kind of out of a stupor, not knowing where they are. Um, it brings them back. It kind of gives them a, a sharp, a sharp uh, surge. Uh, buprenorphine, but the suboxone, buprenorphine is um, much. It's longer term, longer acting. You take it daily. It keeps you um, from the uh, from using your opioids in a way that could probably kill you. Certainly these days. So it's prescribed um, not enough times because of the difficulty there that we have in. Um, gaining access, finding doctors who have access to the, for the ability to, to prescribe these medications. Um, Brefrenorphine is, um, you know, and methadone are um, very difficult to manage. They, 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 you know, the advantage to Suboxone, for example, is it doesn't require refrigeration. Methadone requires refrigeration, and uh, it's, it's a little messier to use. It's a drink versus a pill. Um, and, you know, a lot of pharmacies don't want People with substance abuse, abuse disorder, especially those on government-assisted programs for methadone and suboxone, um, they don't want them in their place. They don't want them in their store. It keeps the, quote-unquote, nice people away. Well, you know what? They're nice people, too. They're just in a hard place. So it's not an easy-peasy kind of solution here, uh, but there are medications that are readily available. I've been, uh, been on this for quite some time in terms of meeting with people 
you talk about uh, other forms of uh, methods to introduce the medication into the bloodstream, uh, because if you forget to take your pill, it could be a real problem. You can get sick. Um, and by the way, if you're taking Suboxone or getting Suboxone or Methadone, you have to prove that you're not using opioids. You have to provide a urine sample and, uh, you know, speak to the uh, quote-unquote prescribing uh, doctor or a medical practitioner. It might be a, might be a uh, nurse practitioner in, in certain practices. Uh, so you have to kind of prove that you're not using in order to get the medication for the day. Some people come every day. There are people who have to come to methadone clinics every day. So they come the same time every day and then off to work or the same time every day on the way home from work or at lunch hour or on the way to the unemployment office or whatever, right? So it becomes a complete way of life. You can't, it's very difficult to travel. It's hard to travel with this stuff. You can't take it across borders. Um, it is an opioid. It comes it checks as an opioid in your bloodstream. Uh, so people that are taking methadone and suboxone will test positive for opioids. Um, some screening will be very specific about around bupropamine or, or methadone. Uh, we have the ones that we use at the farm in Stouffville. They're very specific. So when we test somebody, it won't come up necessarily as an opioid. It will come up as Suboxone or come up as methadone in the strips. Uh, but there are medications to help kind of prevent people from dying. And, um, yeah, I think we just need to do a better job of getting these in the hands of people. And I go back to what I said, testing strips, testing, testing, testing strips. That's the way to save lives. Get 100,000 testing strips, distribute it to people who are in areas where we know uh, those that are using uh, street drugs uh, are uh, buying their drugs, and we'll save a lot of lives. I'm, I'm 100% convinced. I've just got to get someone to partner this with me. Maybe one of the government officials listening can give me a call. We can set something up. I'll donate them, thousands of them if necessary, uh, but I just need an institution to help them be distributed uh, in some real authentic kind of way instead of me standing at the corner. As soon as we come back from break, um, we're going to end on something a little bit lighter, not not really funny, but a little lighter. We're going to talk about the top scams of 2021, stuff that you can reach out and look, or look out for so people don't reach out and steal money out of your pocket. We'll be right back. Yona Bud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. So are you on the naughty list or on the nice list this year? So hopefully you're, you're on, the, on the nice list and maybe just a little bent of like fun naughty. I don't know. But we're talking tonight about the naughty list as it relates to the Better Business Bureau. And they're talking about the holiday scams of 2021. They're warning consumers to watch out for any fraudulent schemes aimed at swiping their cash or stealing personal information. Sometimes, if I would say more often than not, it's the stealing of the personal information that's more of a pain in the bum than the money they actually steal. It's big money, according to the experts. It's big, big money. Ongoing supply chain issues have made consumers even more vulnerable this year, more desperate to uh, buy stuff from sites that they might not normally shop at. So the experts say take your time, do your research, and think that's a number one, uh, that number one, anytime you're making any kind of purchase decision, that number one thing is do your research, check it out, find out who you're doing business with, read reviews, all that kind of stuff, right? I know it sounds like a pain, but if you're doing virtual business, you should do the necessary checking around it. Uh, there was an expert, or an expert, a person who writes in to say, I was really embarrassed, she says. I don't even want to tell my husband. I can't believe I fell for this. Just a person who fell for one of the scams and a pretty smart, you know, pretty smart lady, as it goes on to say, but they were so they were so good at how they tricked her, she couldn't help but buy into it. So here's what the BBB 
talks about this year's 12 scams of the Christmas list, 12 days of Christmas, if you will. Uh, mis- misleading, uh, misleading social media ads seem to be on the top of the list where consumers pay for items that they don't actually receive or they get tri- charged for a free trial or get counterfeit items, right? Or they'll say, you know, we're going to send you a $50 gift certificate, but we just need to do one transaction with your bank account for a dollar, so please give us your bank account information so that we know what a bank account to put your $50 into or something like that, right? Social media gift exchanges. These involve exchanging bottles of wine or another gift with the promise of paying it forward when, in fact, it's an illegal pyramid scheme. So there's people that are changing social media gift exchanges, doing it all. Again, this is all online, right? Free holiday apps. These are apps that promise children that they can chat live with Santa or watch him arrive. These can collect data and contain malware. So, again, what we're looking at are things that are going to, you know, upset your life over the holidays, having money stolen from you, having your system locked down because of some virus or or some malware that demands money uh, in order to give you back your access to your computer. Um, You know, a lot of these places, a lot of these scams don't necessarily need to take money from you uh, directly with your permission or with your interaction. Once they get behind the scenes and access your data online, they're able to do it alone. Uh, alerts about compromised accounts. So if you get, and I get these all the time. A text message from, for example, I'll get a text message from the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce that my account has been compromised and I need to call them right away. Please dial such and such a number and you'll be put through to an officer at the bank. Sounds really official, right? Problem is, I don't have a CIBC account. So for me, it's okay because it's, nat- it's a natural, this is garbage, this is BS, I'm not doing it, I don't have an account, these are obviously thieves, I report them accordingly where I can and uh, copy their uh, information and pass it on to the authorities so that they can track them down hopefully at some other point, right? Um, so they again, so if your, your bank, if your bank wants to contact you, they'll do it by phone appropriately, by email or by mail, proper mail. And even by email, they'll recommend you call a certain number and it's usually an official number and so on. Free gift cards. So scammers are are offering people to take advantage of wanting free merchandise by sending bulk phishing emails requesting personal information. So they may also want impersonate. They might. They may also impersonate legitimate companies. So you're looking for something for free, but they want information from you. They want to know where you know where they can, where they can send it and to what account. And there may be uh, some funds required for for uh, um, uh, paying duty at the border, so they need a credit card online, but it won't be charged unless the people at the, at the border require it, right? Start sounding official. It's not. People don't do business like this. You've got to be very careful. How about this one? Temporary holiday jobs. These involve postings for shippers and delivery services uh, for busy holiday season. They can be an effort to get personal information from you. We know someone that works uh, with us at Chorus at Chorus who has a friend who was uh, applied for a job. It seemed like a great job, and uh, she was. You know, they took her through the interview process. She was hired, and they just needed some financial information for her account so they could set up the accounts to pay her uh, directly through her account. And they stole six thousand dollars from her account. And but guess what? No job. Like surprise, surprise. Look-alike websites. These are websites that are created by scammers to trick people into downloading their malware. So it looks like Google or it looks like something, but it's not. Look at it very carefully. Those logos are easy to copy, easy to, easy to, to duplicate, right? They don't have to be official. So it looks like you're doing something, but you end up making some dead-ended purchase or sharing private information and they're not legitimate companies, they sell that information. So data gets sold to scammers around the world. 
So when one scammer calls you, for example, if you if there it's a phone scam and you actually answer the phone, I learned this the hard way, believe me, two phone numbers later. Uh, if you answer the phone when a phone scammer calls you, that's a, that's on the, that gets on the hot list. That means it's a live number and it works. They hang up. They don't even need to talk to you. They now sell that as a live number. So they know that Yona Bud at 416, whatever it is, is a live number. They now sell that to scammers who will now do something with that number, not just verify it's alive. Right? So they're actually, they're actually uh, prospecting, if you will. In, in a, in a, in a, and it's all done these days electronically, all done by computers. Not human. There's no human beings making phone calls until the list gets developed such that these are hot people to call. They're actually answering the phone. Even if you're answering the phone and don't call me ever again and, you know, blah, 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 I'm going to report you. Live number. So the best thing to do is send it off to block or just don't answer it at all. Um, find yourself some, uh, some software that you can get and, and put it on your device that will automatically block what, what appear to be uh, scam messages or, or illegal type messages, okay? Fake charities. Here's another really good one. Because we're having so much tough times for many charities asking for donations online, scammers prey on the urge to give and not research if the charity is legitimate. You wouldn't think about giving 25 bucks to some charity to save, you know, uh, animals somewhere where the world is falling apart. I mean, it's 25 bucks. What's the big deal? Once they have access to your money, it's the, they just keep coming, right? Again, now that, that, that person who now gets, you know, your email address, your phone number, whatever, now that gets moved to the hot list, now, if you actually send money, now that, that phone number is worth 10 times what it was worth to the first scammers. And by the way, they keep scamming you, and then they sell it to somebody else. They'll do it, run a scam, then they'll send that, sell that number to somebody else. It's called double-ending. They get you on one end up front, and then they sell your number to someone who gets you again, and they get paid for that. So it's a double-ended scam, right? They get to take their money both ends. Fake shipping notifications. I almost fell for this because I had some stuff coming that I really wanted, and it seemed to be... Uh, stuck somewhere in the shipping process. Um, actually, it was coming from Vancouver, and I knew because of the floods it was going to be a problem. But with more consumers making purchases online, scammers use the surge to send phishing, what are called phishing emails or traps, right? They get stuck into your email with links attaching to allowing unwanted access to personal and financial information. So they'll want information from you to help with your shipping problem to have something released or get it to you sooner and of course you're anxious to get it before christmas you give them the information unknowingly and the next thing you know you're upside down tons of money and by the way most financial institutions credit card companies will support you if you haven't if you haven't given the scammers permission to access the money so you have to be careful what permissions you give and don't give because you could really be upside down uh pop-up holiday virtual events this is another great one Many pop-up holiday markets or craft fairs have moved online because we can't go to them live anymore, right? So scammers create these fake event pages charging admission to what used to be a free event. So you figure, okay, fine, I'll pay the 10 bucks to get into the, you know, to the, uh, the um, I don't know, what do we used to go to? We used to go to the, uh, to the fair in, at, at the Royal, Royal Winter Fair, right? So Royal Agricultural Winter Fair. So they, last year I think it was virtual. So, you know, of course we joined on. But, I, you know, it's hard to know. If these are real or not. Here's another one before we get off the air here tonight. Puppy scams. Pet scams are on the rise this year. The Better Business Bureau advised to see the pet in, per in person before you purchase. So, again, you know, purchase this dog. It really needs a family. It's been, the family has been devastated by 
this tragedy or that tragedy. And of course, you want to take it. You're prepared to pay the 50 bucks, you know, just for the paperwork and so on. Next thing you know, you're paying 50 bucks. The animal never shows up. Top holiday wish list items. They involve low or ridiculously priced luxury goods and other items. And they're, and they're all counterfeits. So you're looking at, you think you're buying your, 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 your loved one a Rolex and it's coming and it's a third of the price of a, a Rolex you get somewhere else on, at a real site. It's because it's not a real Rolex. Anyway, listen, guys and gals, I want to tell you something before we get off here. We're not going to see each other next Saturday. I am, uh, I am hosting uh, this week on Wednesday and Thursday night uh, for uh, Alex Pearson uh, for On Point, On Point, 6.30 to 9.30 Wednesday and Thursday. So you'd be free to, free if you're welcome to uh, come join me and uh, on that show. But we won't be doing next Saturday because of the holidays. I want to just wish everybody a very happy holiday, a very safe holiday, and make sure you love each other and hug each other. And tell each other how you feel about one another. And be nice to one another. Even if you don't want to sometimes. It makes sense. And when you're nice, you feel better. And when you feel better, the world's a better place. And there's nothing wrong with being out there every day going, hey, happy holidays. Hey, how are you? Hey, you know, spreading cheer is what they say. So spread some cheer to everybody. Spread some love to those that are close to you. And just make sure you give a little extra over this holiday season to somebody who maybe needs a few bucks on the street. Maybe tip a little extra for the service you get somewhere. Just show your appreciation at this particular time of year uh, as it's a special time for us all. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I love you and uh, wish you all a very, very happy holiday. Hope to see you Wednesday and Thursday night. If not, uh, a couple of weeks, we'll be back Saturday night and we'll rock and roll into 2022. See you all real soon. Going to Bud, 640 Toronto.